I, uh, I got a friend um, who's a Syrian uh, pastor, and now he's working in Lebanon because he, uh, he couldn't work in Syria anymore. And uh, he says, you know, it's it kind of funny. Like when you come to Australia and America, people are like 30 minutes, that's it, 40 minutes, 50, like really, like if you're really Pentecostal church, it's like an hour and that's it. He's like, I'm used to spending three or four hours preaching and people are saying, why are you stopping? And he said, I was in, uh, I was in America a couple of years ago and uh, this is really, really big church and and uh, I was preaching, and uh, I was going along was about, you know, 25, 30 minutes into it, and the pastor's looking really, really nervous. Like, what's wrong with this guy? Looking up at me, and he's sort of going like this. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm preaching. What's the guy trying to get me to come down there for? So he said, discreetly, I kind of got my water and, and grabbed it, and as I'm and preaching, I'm going, uh, I'm just going to have a drink. Yeah, what is it, pastor? He's going, oh, oh. Will you be finished soon? He's going, oh no, this is just my intro. <laughs> oh dear. Well, uh, I know that Peter has prayed for me. Thank you, Peter. I need prayer so much. And because you've prayed, I won't uh, read this prayer, but I'll read it at the end. However, if I forget, because sometimes I get really like just on a roll, you guys have to tell me. Remember that prayer? It's from the 18th century, so we've got to have that one together. I'll give you a bit of a personal background. Uh, I was born and bred on the mission field in Indonesia. My parents were missionaries with headhunters uh, in northwest Borneo. And after I turned about seven, uh, things got a bit tough for them down there, just getting a little bit dangerous. And so they decided to be missionaries with Muslims. What you do, headhunters get a bit tough to work with, you work with Muslims. And that actually was even tougher. Uh, but when I was about 18, my brother and I moved back here to Australia. So up until I was 18, kind of like a white Asian and uh, was educated also in, in, in an Indonesian school. So a bit of my background there. And uh, they first started working with the headhunters and uh, there were some Muslims that worked that we worked with at the same time. But we had the headhunters on one side of the river, we had the Muslims on the other, and they didn't get on very well often, so we were glad it was a wide river. And uh, so that's a bit of, bit of my DNA. got lots of headhunters stories, but I don't have time to tell them today. Maybe next time I come back I can tell you some headhunter stories. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, a bit more personally, so uh, I have a wife, Alison. She's a real estate photographer. And uh, I have a son, Timothy, he's 16, almost, sorry, almost 16, September 11, 2001 day. So I actually had him in my hands, well, in my arm, walking out of the birthing suite that very morning when I went into the dad's sort of section where dads take babies covered in, you know, that white powdery stuff, right? You, you know, so some dads are agreeing with me here. And uh, I sit down and I have my son and with my right hand I get the nearest remote and I click on the TV. There's three of them actually and the click on the first one and I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that explosion, that, yeah, that's CGI, it's pretty good. Actually, no, that's, hey, whoa, okay, that's actually for real. Who remembers that day? And then I clicked on the next TV and it's like, it's happening again. It's in slow. Oh, it's there's actually two planes. 
Both towers are going down. Ah, Lord have mercy. What am I bringing this son into this world like this now? And uh, But praise God, my uh, oldest son, Timothy, he's uh, a great boy. Almost getting his license next year. Oh, dear. Anyway. And then we have Emily. Emily's seven, and she's a little terror, but she's great. So 16 and seven. If you're with me when you've got a big age gap there, yeah, okay, they don't get on, all right, just be honest. You know, God's good, but they don't get on. And anyway, so that's a little bit of background. Um, I'm also a minister ordained with Churches of Christ, so I work in a little bit of conflict resolution with them, with pastors and churches, so if there's anything that kind of happens where there's dysfunction that goes on to the point where there could be a split, they get me and some other guys in to help with that. So I do that kind of part-time and I work full-time with Open Doors. Okay, thanks Luke. Mate, how, how are we going there? Can we get the... Oh, look at that. So we uh, aren't going to have videos this morning because I had some technical issues. Actually, you can pray about that. Uh, not now because you've got to listen to me, but you can pray about it later. Uh, my laptop, uh, none of the USB ports are working. Just just happened yesterday, so what do I do? And what's even worse is that it charges through USB. So that's it, and I'm here for a week. Okay, so that's something you can pray about later. You remember that? Please, yes, I would be very uh, thankful if you could do that. Okay. Well, who's, who's heard of Open Doors and what, what we do as a ministry? Some of you? Okay. Now, Open Doors was started in 1955 by a Dutchman by the name of Brother Andrew. He's actually still alive. He's 88. And uh, he says, I can get you into any country in the world. Just can't guarantee to get you back out again. Okay? And uh, he started the ministry in 1955. God burdened him from Revelations 3 to strengthen what remains, which is at the point of death. And he felt on his heart that that was God's calling for him to support the suffering church. Back then it was Christians primarily in countries like China and Russia where it was illegal to own a Bible. It was a life sentence. Pastors were being sent to the gulag, to prisons where they were rotting in prison just for standing up for Jesus, just for even having a church in their own home. And uh, so ever since the ministry of Open Doors, we're one of the largest charities in the world now. Uh, we minister in over 65 countries serving the church where it finds itself. And our vision is that through supporting the suffering church around the world in countries where faith costs the most, we'll equip them to make sure that the gospel gets to those who need it the most. As some of you may be aware, in the third world today, in probably about almost 80% of countries around the world, there is some form of persecution. We work in the countries where persecution is the fiercest, called the World Watch List. Could we just have that next slide there, Luke? So the World Watch List is a list of 50 countries where persecution is the fiercest. Who could think of the first one on the list, number one? North Korea. Did you know that in North Korea today, there are about 300,000 Christians? Did you know that 70,000 of those Christians are in prison for Christ in Nazi-style concentration camps where your lifespan is 18 months to three years? 
In North Korea, it is illegal for you to own a Bible. It is even illegal for you to own a passage of Scripture. Only probably about 2% of North Korean Christians have ever had access to a Bible. One of our goals is to make sure the Word of God gets into North Korea. Um, And it is the most dangerous country in the world for any of uh, this access to occur. Regardless of what you might think, North Korea is not the most secular country in the world. It's actually the most religious. People worship Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea. And uh, if I get a bit of time, I'll tell you a little bit more about that country. Thanks, brother. Of what is great concern to us at the moment is India. But before I turn to India, I just want to encourage you from the Word of God briefly. Okay? Now, people often ask me, tell us two things. Tell us, what do you love the most about your job? What, what has challenged you the most about working with a persecuted church? The first question. And what has broken your heart the most deeply? I'll start with the second one. What breaks my heart the most deeply is the indifference that a lot of Christians in the West actually have to the suffering church. Um, There's a particular story that um, is still upon my heart in a strong way. I went to meet persecuted Christians in one country, uh, details of which I can't tell you because of security reasons. However, this pastor, incredible witness... And uh, he was encouraging me the whole time that we were on the trip. And on the last day, only hours before I was about to leave, we're at the airport and he became all emotional like I hadn't seen him become emotional before. And he started to change. His countenance changed. There was fear that overcame him. And he grabbed my arm and he said, Brother, could you take me with you? And... I can't. And to this day, we don't actually know where he is. We, we can't locate him. We don't know if he's still alive. The thing that broke my heart was that I get to leave and he doesn't. And I haven't endured anything like he has. I want to encourage you today to grab hold of the gospel in a way that perhaps you've never valued it before because God's people are suffering around the world so that you and I have a bit more time to share Jesus. There was one Christian that said a most astonishing thing to me. He's worked in about 30 countries where we have a presence. He's been persecuting himself and he said, you know, there's one theme that comes through stronger than any other theme to me in all the years that I've worked for the suffering church. In all the stories that I hear from Christians from China, from Russia, from North Korea, from North Africa, he says, the theme that comes through the strongest and he says, look, I can't proof text this. You know, you don't have to agree with me theologically. I'm just telling you what they're saying. And that is this. They believe they're holding the devil back in his own backyard long enough so that you and I have more time to share Jesus while we still have freedom. Does that challenge you or not? 
What are we going to do with that? If one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. He says to us one thing to remember. There is no such thing as a free church and a persecuted church. He said there's just the church. We're all part of it. And when we truly commit our lives to Jesus, we will be persecuted. It's just a matter of when. (laughs) Perhaps we're being persecuted now spiritually and we're just not seeing that. I want to encourage you this morning, perhaps some of you have come and you have a lot of burdens upon your heart. I want to encourage you to believe in the power of the gospel like you have never believed in it before. I want to encourage you to believe that this title of your church, Arise, is a truth that will happen in you this morning like it has never done before. The Holy Spirit will rise in you in a most profound and powerful way. Because you know what? The essence of the gospel is that Jesus has conquered sin. He's conquered death. And because of his conquering of sin and death, those of us who believe in Jesus have the capacity to conquer this world. Do you believe that? Paul says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Romans 8, he says this, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this is the center of the Christian message. Now, Paul doesn't say in some things. He says in all things. Amen? In all things, we are more than conquerors. Now, you might have come this morning and, you know, you're neighbors conquering you from the other side of the fence your brother-in-law has been conquering your faith because he's an atheist and he's telling you all about what's going to happen with safe schools come and christians are going to be finished i don't know maybe your two-year-old daughter is conquering you this morning with her behavior well what about two-year-old kids i mean how do you I'm not, I can't conquer my daughter. How do you do that? We're more than conquerors, right? More than. What is more than a conqueror? Paul doesn't say we're almost conquerors. We'll be conquerors when Jesus comes back and fixes all this evil in the world and takes us home. We're conquerors now. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're not just a conqueror, you're more than, con- more than a conqueror? What is more than a conqueror? Somebody who's already victorious, amen? Somebody who's in fact sitting on a throne somewhere. And basically we can say Paul's continuing on to affirming our priesthood with Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're more than a conqueror? How? Not because of anything that you've done, because of his love for you. You are a conqueror through the love of Jesus welling up with inside you. And I pray that after today... By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will reshape your affections into where he wants you to feel. Because what I want to encourage you to do is to see that Jesus loves his church, but Jesus loves especially his suffering church because they are the ones who have been willing physically and psychologically and spiritually and mentally to take up their crosses and follow Jesus and regardless of what happens, refuse to deny him. Join with us as 
we share in the suffering church. Okay, India, do we have um, another slide there, Luke? I'll just... Okay, we'll wait till it comes up. Um, I thought only PCs froze, but maybe Apples do too. It's okay. Friends, uh, India is a very big concern for us as a ministry. Uh, This is the first time in the 25 years of the World Watch List, a list of 50 countries that we release every year, which I mentioned earlier, where persecution is the fiercest. This is the first time that India has been on number 15. India is the highest on the World Watch List that it's ever been. Obviously, one of the great concerns is it's a large country. 1.25 billion people, 5% Christians, some say about 10%. If you say 10% includes Catholics, nominal, 5% evangelicals. So 5% out of 1.2 billion, someone do the math, that's a lot of Christians, right? And India is rising in its persecution mainly through Hindu extremism and religious nationalism. I want to explain religious nationalism briefly. Religious nationalism is the idea, um, understood negatively, that extremists, which may only consist of a very small percentage, rise up the ladders very quickly into positions of influence within the government. The Indian government is run by Modi, who is the Prime Minister. He's a Hindu. He is not an extremist, but he is very welcoming of them which kind of got to make you wonder what he's up to. And so religious nationalism is the minority who are extremists, who threat, who bully, who intimidate politicians, lawyers, people in positions of decision-making within a country to the point where they might say, well, if you don't want to change the legislation on that or sign this document, we might, you know, be waiting for your kids at 3 p.m. next Monday. You know, or we might meet with your wife while she's shopping. We know where she gets her groceries and, you know, could, just, I don't know, could do something, you know. Happens all the time. Happens in Islamic countries. Uh, there is only a very small percentage of Muslims who are extremists. A lot of, the vast majority of Muslims are actually peace-loving people. Do you know that most Muslims are actually the victims of Islam? The vast majority of Muslims are peace-loving people. However, you get the minority who are extremists and they just seem to not only upset the apple cart but you know, just dissect everything within it and permeates right through. It's happening here. You know who the extremists are here? They're the new atheists. People behind safe schools. You know what they've been saying for years? Atheists have said for centuries that Christianity is bad. You know what the new atheists are saying? It's a very, very different message. They're not just saying Christianity is bad, they're saying that respect and tolerance for Christians is bad. Have you heard of a guy called Richard Dawkins? Another guy, Sam Harris. I mean, these are the godfathers of the new atheists. Richard Dawkins, in his book some years ago, New York Times bestseller. You know what he said in the book? He repeated it several times. He's repeated it in lectures. He says that Christians can be compared to smallpox. That Christians are just a bit harder to eradicate. 
It'll take a bit longer. So it's, it's here. It's just a matter of time before, I don't know when Australia will be in the world watch list. I've got no idea. But friends, I'm sure that we're all aware, either subconsciously or we have some evidence that we are aware that persecution is on the rise around the world. India is a specific concern for many, many reasons, but religious nationalism. Indonesia, another one. You may have heard on the news, the governor of Jakarta, a guy by the name of Ahok, Christian, Chinese Christian. He's um, under trial because mobs got together and accused him of defaming the Quran. So it's happening all across Asia. It's a very, very big concern for organisations like ours, who aim to try and measure how persecution is going. Uh, one of the wa- two ways that we look at this is that there's squeeze persecution and there's smash persecution. So North Korea's smash. Um, China, parts of China is smash. Parts of China is squeeze. Sometimes squeeze can actually be more difficult for Christians because they're like, well, you can worship, but don't evangelize anybody. How do you go about that as a church? Isn't that what we're here for? Grow the kingdom? You can worship together, that's fine. Freedom of worship, no freedom of witness. You can worship, no problem. Just don't evangelize the Muslims. Evangelize the Muslims, we'll make sure that we don't, you know, um, renew your insurance on the building next month. Or, well, now what we'll do is we'll put your lease up by 200%. See if you can worship in that building again. Find another one. Good luck with that. So that's kind of a bit more of the squeeze side of things. It's happening more and more in India. For example, in India, the vast majority of Christians are poor. Okay, you think 5% evangelical Christians out of 1.2 billion people is what? 20 million? 30 million? Maybe more. The vast majority of these Christians are extremely poor. Most of them are illiterate. Send them Bibles? Don't Don't know how to read them anyway. And the government has a deliberate and meticulous plan in India to make sure that it stays that way. Did you know that in 1950, about 70% of schools in India were run by Christians? You know, now it's only about 15%. It's less than that. See how evil is winning? But see, you know, something I've learned about this ministry, I want you to remember this one. Evil always does what evil does. But God always keeps doing what God does. Amen? In India, there is a meticulous, deliberate plan by the government to make sure that all Christians who've been converted from Hinduism, which is the majority, don't get education. So what happens? You don't get education, you have no skills. You're not able to develop skills. You remain poor. So the cycle of poverty continues. Okay? Squeeze persecution. Don't have to hurt them. Oh, now and then you, you, know, you send people to burn missionaries and their kids in little vans and firebomb their buildings and stuff like that. Now and then. But the rest of the time, don't worry about them. Just don't let them have an education. Don't let their kids get educated. But hey, hang on. Here's an idea. What we'll do is we'll say to them, hey... You get free education, and on top of that, 
you get free medical support. Hey, we get both here, don't we? Free education, free medical support, and um, free counselling. But, oh, the catch is you have to convert back to Hinduism. Can't be a Christian anymore. Be a Christian? That's okay. No education, cycle of poverty continues. I don't worry about you. You know, lifespan, 20, 25 years, 40, 40 if you're lucky. Now, do you know who supports compassion? Do you know that in compassion you would have heard that India shut down their work there indefinitely? 145, 160,000 children? That's a disaster. But you know, I want you to be encouraged by this, that the church is still there. God's people are still there. And God is still at work. I wanted to show you a video, but I I can't do that. Um, That's okay. But we uh, met a pastor recently in India. He was... A guru, a Hindu guru, he came to Christ through a horrific illness. And this is something that we're seeing more and more in countries like Asia, but India especially. Hindus come to the clinics or they come to a witch doctor and ask for healing because of cancer or some life-threatening disease. Witch doctors can't help them. Or well, now and then something happens and the rich doctor goes, oh, the devil answered my prayers, that sort of stuff. But most of the time, no help, right? And uh, they get sent away. We can't do anything. The guy got two weeks, three weeks, whatever it might be. And this guy, Raja, he went to the witch doctor, nothing happened, went to the clinic, uh, wife, four kids, and he's like, I, I-, I have got no other, no other options so I don't like Christians. In fact, I hate Christians. You know, Christians came in and they, you know, they tried to convert everybody and, and put everybody into their own education. He's been told all his life that Christians really bad news, you know. Anyway, cause, but he's heard that, that Jesus can heal people. Well, did you guys know that? Of course you did. Amen? Amen. And anyway, he goes to the nearest church and, uh, you know, it's, stumbling away and his, his wife's with him and anyway the pastor said yeah we can pray for you so uh, well, they prayed anointed him with oil and miraculously praise God he was healed he came back three days later and he said, well, you know, I, I don't know uh, a week later he goes to the hospital they, they do some scans and the tumor's gone and so he comes to Christ as soon as he comes to Christ he tells his father-in-law and the father-in-law says, oh, well, uh, that's really good news. We'll have to get the village elders around and tell everybody. Really exciting. And he thought, well, that's not the response I normally get, right? So they meet with the village elders and he gets imprisoned in a room. They throw him in the cell and uh, three days later they come and get him. They handcuff him. They blindfold him. They take him into the forest. And while he's handcuffed and blinded, they beat him senseless almost to death left him to die and then they come back the next day and by the power of God he hasn't actually had anything to eat or anything to drink he said the Holy Spirit just gave me this energy and they took the blindfold off and they thought he was dead and uh, he stands up and he starts preaching he does the Stephen thing and he said I preached to them for about two hours 
They still haven't given me any water. And uh, he said that they just were standing. They didn't know what to do. And they said, well, y- y- you've got a demon. They're like Only demons can do that to people. You should be dead. He said, no, no, I have another spirit. I've got the spirit of God. You need to come to know him. And he said, I kept preaching. And he said, I kept preaching so long that two of them fell asleep. You know, Paul did that, didn't he? And so he just said on and on. Eventually, um, they went. They just left me in the forest on my own. God led me back home. I, I, my body was okay. You know, I had some bruises. But by the power of God, he's still ministering now. He's in another village and he's pastoring a church of about 400 people. See, God's at work, amen? God's at work. And I want to encourage those of you, I know that my wife, when she heard this, because we support a passion, compassion child, she was devastated. But I want to encourage you that regardless of what the devil tries to do to destroy the work of God's people, right? Evil keeps doing what evil does, but God keeps doing what God does. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, we'll keep going, brother, if we can. Are we, are we all good? Okay, now a little bit later on the table there, if you'd like to get our free prayer guides and the Frontline Faith magazine, they come out every second month. Okay, and uh, you can sign up to get those either in the mail postally or digitally. They're free. And so that this little thing here, this prayer guide, so every day of the year you can pray for the persecuted church. There might be little prayers, some a little bit longer, but some, for example, like there was one just a few days ago about one of the pastors that we're caring for in Myanmar, right? Used to be Burma. This is the second time that he's been fined for preaching the gospel. So they get, again, squeeze persecution, give them big fines. And how, how if they don't pay them, will they go to prison? Long prison sentences. So part of what we do as a ministry is that we support them by paying some of these bills so that they can keep preaching. We advocate for them with lawyers so that they can get released. Okay. Who remembers the Chabok girls? Yeah. You know how many girls are still missing? 214. How is it that the world's forgotten? Why is the world forgotten? It's interesting, isn't it, when persecution happens on some sort of mass scale, automatically, quickly, it's all over the news, we're all over it, right? But if it's prolonged, goes on and on, we kind of tend to, oh, that was old news. This is an issue that has gone on and on. Did you know that the Chibok school in northern Nigeria was actually a Christian school? Most of the girls that were taken were Christian girls. Did you know that about 70% of them are pastor's girls? This girl here is one of the girls that is still missing. Her dad is a pastor, a family that we, through the Ministry of Open Doors, look after we care for them. We have a trauma counselling centre there for their families that we actually set up because their families were so traumatised. Imagine for a moment, you don't need to put your hand up, but how many of you have daughters? I have one. This could have been your daughter, my Emily. 
how would you deal with the pain of not just hearing about her being taken, but after two years still not knowing where she is? Is she alive? Uh, is she dead? I, I'd, I'd rather, to be honest, knowing what Boko Haram do with Christian girls, I'd rather be assured that my daughter is actually now dead rather than be not sure that she might be alive, enslaved somewhere under their system of slavery. Why is God letting this happen? Why is God letting this happen? Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that our support for the suffering church and those that suffer unjustly for the kingdom is not just a mental thing. It's not just prayer. It's, it is, it's even more than financial support. It is feeling through the power of the Holy Spirit a deep connection with that person. And even asking the Lord, Lord, wake me up at night with prayers and intercession and give me a name of a person who I've never met, will never meet this side of heaven, but Lord, through your Spirit, I can pray for them and I can meet their needs. Thanks, Luke. Paul said there should be no division in the body, but that each part should have equal concern for the other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part is honoured. This term for suffering here in 1 Corinthians is a Greek word for illness, but not any illness, a specific kind of illness, a little bit like a boil or a sore that is festering and that doesn't matter how many times you go to the doctor or seek medical help for it, it continues to ooze and be a difficult issue for you to the point where if it's not addressed, the whole body is infected. This is what Paul's talking about. He's saying if one part suffers, if there is a a boil in the body and we don't address it, There's something in the spiritual realms that actually infects the body of Christ. If one part suffers, every part suffers. The woman on her right is Helen Bahani. I have her book over there, Song of the Nightingale. She was imprisoned in a shipping container for about three years for her faith. She refused to stop talking about Jesus. But she says, you know what? She says, when I came to Christ... I couldn't, I couldn't keep him in. I couldn't shut up about him. I had to tell everybody. And I knew what was going to happen, but I couldn't shut up about him. Let me ask you, can, are you like that with your faith? Or are there things in your life that are keeping you from telling everybody about Jesus? Maybe in our culture, well, you know, everybody's considered a bigot now, aren't they? Especially Christians, doesn't matter what you talk about. You're like, oh, you're those people that you don't like the whole same-sex marriage thing. or you, you know, you, You're a bigot. Are you afraid of being called a bigot? You know, she said, when they arrested me, 
They wanted to find my Bible. I said, I didn't have a Bible. They said, well, where's your Bible? How do you know all this scripture? And she says, it's all in my head. I memorized it. She memorized half of the New Testament. And they said, well, we, we, no, that's just, that's, that's a, you must be a witch doctor. That doesn't happen. Where's your Bible? So they ransacked the house and uh, put her in prison and, and they said, well, if, if your Bible's in your head, we're going to have to beat it out of you. So they beat her senselessly with sticks and wooden battens and they couldn't beat the word of God out of her because she kept sharing it. So they put her into a shipping container. And she said, they locked her in there. All she was given was food. She shared it at some time with other ladies. She said, all my business I had to do in there. I was never let out. She said, I was only very rarely let out. I didn't see the light for months and months and months. But she said, it tightened my resolve to continue to share Jesus. It didn't matter what happened. They said, you can, you can, you can beat me all you want but she said you'll never beat Jesus out of me you'll never you can kill my body but my soul is already like this with Jesus I'm already there in heaven she said it's for your benefit and for the benefit of Eritrea this country that you keep me alive interestingly enough we had her to Australia she came and spoke here a couple of years ago and uh, she was pretty difficult to manage Um, she was a bit difficult she was speaking one day, right? How long have I got left, by the way, Pete? Ten minutes? Okay, ten minutes. We'll go for ten minutes. And uh, anyway, she was, she was preaching and uh, she was telling a story and uh, there was a lady down the back who answered a phone, you know, as you do sometimes. You don't turn it off and... Jeep, jeep, and then he went, that lady said it like... She goes, hey! How can your phone call be more important than my story? Seriously, big room of like 200 people. And the poor lady's like, imagine that. Anyway, afterwards they made up, right? And Helen was like, she said, okay, it just gets me. It gets me. Anyway, it gets more interesting. After the meeting, they took her out to to dinner. And uh, they were on their way and they get there and... She has this big meal, you know, and uh, halfway through a meal, she starts to kind of like look a bit blue and sweat and starts to shake and they're like, oh, she's got food poisoning, right? The Helen, are you okay? She, she goes, ah. They're like, oh, what? what? Like, ah. She's pointing to like some people on the other side of the table and they're like, oh no, what's going on? She, they're like, what's wrong, Helen? She said, they didn't finish their meal. They left food on their plate. They're like, okay, can you just keep it down a bit? We'll explain that. She said, I've seen God's people, pastors and their wives, Christian children who have crawled skin and bone across the hot, dark soil to compete for one grain of rice. And they couldn't even find that one grain of rice, and they perished before my eyes. And you dare to not finish your meal. Lord, have mercy upon you. Friends, this is what's going on for God's people in many countries around the world. 
persecution and poverty are so intricately related that it is unbelievable. But it's, it's obvious. You come to Christ, you have a good job. You tell people about him. And keep him to yourself, it's fine. Nothing happens, right? You share him. Oh, it's illegal to be a Christian here. In this country, yeah, very quickly you drop down the social ladder and you get to the bottom. And if, by God's grace, your kids were somehow educated before you came to Christ, that's kind of a bit better for you. But if after you come to Christ, hey, no education for you unless you recant. Not just in India, in countries all over the world. So much of the support that we give Christians is financial support. Uh, You come to Christ, you lose your job. There ain't no Centrelink in those places. So who's going to look after you and your family? We help people relocate sometimes. Uh, We help people with small microcredit loans, things like that to get started. We're actually kind of pretty good at this now because we can actually help women and that young girls get started in a little business and they don't actually have to be literate. Isn't that cool? They get a little bit of self-sufficiency, then through the means and processes of other partners in country, like in, in India, then we help them get an education. So we start to pay for that. Okay, I'm almost done. Okay, so we'll keep going. Um, I spoke a bit about North Korea, so we'll, we'll head down to, to the last bit. Yep. We'll keep going. And one more. Uh, sorry, one more. Can anyone make out what this is? <laughs> it's a what? It is. What's behind it? This is one of our churches in Syria that we support. Um, it's been bombed. So there's a whole lot of rubble. But on the back there, you see a whole lot of people standing up. They're Christians. It's a worship service. They're choosing to worship God even though their building has been partly destroyed. It's very likely that any time a bomb could completely obliterate them, but they're standing in solidarity and they're saying, regardless of the destruction of our land, regardless of the hatred, regardless of the darkness, that we will be love and we will be light. Isn't that an incredible testimony? One of the greatest concerns, I guess, well, really right up the top of the world watch list at the moment, as you could imagine, is Syria. In Syria... Before the war started, I just want to focus briefly on Aleppo before I close. In Aleppo, there were 400,000 Christians. There are now 40,000. You know where the other, you know, 320,000 went? 360,000? They've been bombed out of existence. Did you know the Christians that are remaining in Aleppo, the vast majority of them are women, widows, young girls and children because the men have either been killed 
they have been imprisoned, or if they're young men, they've been transcripted into extremist armies. But do we hear anything about this in mainstream media? No. Have you ever heard anything about that in mainstream media? No. That is the truth. Did you know that Christians in Syria, you won't find too many of them in the refugee camps because they avoid refugee camps. Refugee camps are one of the most dangerous places. In fact, a refugee camp for a Syrian Christian is perhaps just as dangerous as Aleppo is because in the refugee camps are Islamic extremists that are running from the other Islamic extremists and in the refugee camps, well, there's just complete and total chaos. So they target Christians there as well. Christians in Syria, believe it or not, are supportive of the Assad regime. You know why? Because they don't actually trust the West. So they say, what, what is America? What has the West done for us? You know, they don't let us into their countries. So our main role in Syria is to support the church that remains there so that it can continue to be a light like this church in the darkness. We're supporting them with primarily financial aid, um, spiritual support through Bible uh, distribution, and uh, just helping them. There's a pastor who has this incredible testimony, and he says this to us. He said, listen, he said, for many... It's been a privilege to leave, but for us it's been a privilege to stay for such a time as this. God is still at work in the darkness. Brother Andrew says when you see the darkness, don't curse it. Light a candle. (laughs) Friends, I know that I've challenged you this morning. I know that there's been some heavy stuff, but I want to leave you with an encouragement and that is this is that each one of us we are who we are because of the grace of God amen you are not a worse Christian because you have not stood up to Jesus or stood up for Jesus sorry when you felt you should have done but I pray that after today you'll be inspired for the gospel in a way that perhaps you have never been inspired before. We are more than conquerors, amen, in all things, not just in some things. We are not just almost conquerors, amen. We are more than conquerors. It's a positional authority that we have in Christ. You may not see the evidence of it in your life today. You may be bemoaning your unfaithfulness like I frequently am. But we are who we are by the grace of God. It is only the grace of God, the blood of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about that spiritual and moral, moral resurrection within us that can make us the people of God that he wants us to be. So church, arise. Amen. I want to close in prayer. In a minute after I close in prayer, you'll have the opportunity when we're finished to come over to my book table. And as I said, the prayer guides are free. Please sign up to get those so that you can stay aware of what's going on on the front line. But friend, I want you to remember, please remember that this is a spiritual battle. You're in it. You're a warrior for Christ, even though you don't feel it. 
But as you seek the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, he will show you that there are two weapons that are most valuable, the weapons of prayer and the weapons of radical generosity. Amen? So stand with us as we stand for the suffering church, as we support God's people in the place where faith costs the most. Let us pray. Lord of the flood, wash us with your spirit that we may be your ark of life, your peace in the sea of violence. Water is life, water cleans, water kills. Frightened, we attempted to make a permanent home on the ark, but you force us to seek dry ground. We can do so only because you have taught us to cling to our baptisms, where we are drowned and reborn by the water and fire of your spirit. So reborn, make us unafraid. Amen. Friends, uh, I do want to encourage you again to, if you haven't had time, and I know I haven't shown the videos, but when you do have time, and uh, with the resources there, go onto our website and check out a bit more information about our Syria appeal, which we're running at the moment to help God's people there. But be encouraged with this, that courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the management of fear. And we all have a good manager. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thanks, Simon. Hey, that imperative of being more than conquerors is where we need to go this week. But it's being, we have to be a conqueror in our world where God has positioned us to be. We don't have to be conquerors in that world because that's God's responsibility, but sometimes our partnership. We have a responsibility to be conquerors in our world, wherever it is that God puts us this week, and then look around and see whether we need to partner with others. And that's what Simon's about. So please take time to look at the table. There's more morning tea. Morning tea goes on forever. You know that. So there's no need to head for the door. Lots of things to do yet. Even though somebody may pack up around you, we're not trying to give you a message. Until the lights go out, you're welcome to be here. So have a great week. Head that way. Thanks. You are all that I see